know if I look like I cried, it's because I did. There it is. Just wanted to let everyone know. I try to hide it from my wife, but I just told all of you. Um, so I'm Peter. I'm not Gabe, if you couldn't tell. I know we look so similar. Um, so uh, if you are visiting, I'm not the usual speaker here at the branch. So if I offend you, please come back. Um, next week looks a little different, so maybe try the week after that. No, I'm just kidding. But um, we're so excited to have you guys. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is Peter. Um, I have no formal training in scripture. I'm currently doing the pipeline. I just love theology. I'm a, just a theology nerd, and I have done a ton of studying because I want to know more. Um, and apparently Gabe has vetted me and thinks I'm qualified enough to at least talk on God, um, but obviously I'm not qualified enough. God just speaks through me. Um, so I'm actually going to set a timer. I've been given a strict time limit because I tend to ramble. So I'm just going to set one really quick. That way I know where the heck I am. Um, so we are currently in the book of Joshua, which is super exciting. Um, the past couple of weeks we have started that journey. Um, and I'm super excited to be in the Old Testament. Um, I think right now in culture, there's like this really big want to stay to the New Testament. Um, people have even gone as far to say as like unhinge your faith from the Old Testament. And that is just so completely untrue. Um, one thing that Carlton always taught me, I don't know where he got it from, but I'm gonna attribute it to him because he said it to me the most. Um, but the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So all through the Old Testament, you can see bits and pieces of the gospel coming through. You can see bits and pieces of the promises that God has set forth for his people in the New Testament, and it will be completed in the New Testament, but the Old Testament is so important to the completion of that first promise. It is so important to everything that we teach in the New Testament that we have to take time and sit in it. For some reason, churches pour into their kids Old Testament stories. They have like the VeggieTales versions of the Old Testament stories. So why do churches stop that when we finally get old enough to truly understand everything from the Old Testament? Churches, once you graduate to like the actual service or the actual gathering, stick to the New Testament the most. Why is that? And so I'm really excited that we're working through this Old Testament book and really dissecting it and seeing what it looks like. Um, the first thing I want to say is I am married to Addie. I don't know if you guys have met Addie. So basically I say that, that way when I say my wife, you know who I'm talking about. Or if I say Addie, you know I'm talking about my wife. Also, it gives me street cred. <laughs> because if I can spit game good enough to get that, I must have something worthwhile to say. So hopefully that is hope for what, what is moving forward, okay? So just, just keep that in mind. If you start to get bored or not off, be like, hey, he got Addy, all right? This guy scored that somehow. There's got to be something good in here, okay? That's my one redeeming quality. I married the coolest person ever. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I have a lot more redeeming qualities, but she is the coolest person ever. Um, so the past two weeks, Gabe has talked about Joshua and what has brought him into power in this beautiful 
unfolding of his story, that he was chosen from birth by God to lead these people. And now he's kind of coming into that. And then we talked about sending out spies like they tried to do before, but were unsuccessful. And he sent out these spies and, and lived on faith and they found Rahab. And all of those pinnacle moments, all of those awesome things lead us up to this moment that we're going to talk about today. So we're in Exodus, uh, or wow, sorry, I'm going to be in Exodus a lot. We're in Joshua, as I said. Joshua 3 is where we're going to start. When Gabe first asked me to preach, uh, he was like, you're, you're going to be preaching expositionally. And he gave me, I think it was the verses, it was Joshua 3 through 5.12. So Joshua 3.1 through 5.12. Um, if you guys don't know anything about the branch, Luke took us like two years the book of Luke, because I think we did like three verses at a time, slowly but surely. So we're really powering through Joshua. A lot of that is because a lot of this all goes together. It's hard to segment it out any other way because this is all so important. It's very meaty up in here. So uh, we're going to get to that. Um, is everyone there? Everyone got into Joshua? If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the ends of the rows. Um, that's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, please take it with you. We want you to have them. Um, so in Joshua... They're about to cross the Jordan. And this is a big moment for them. This is a big moment for the Israelites. They've been on this 40-year journey through the desert. 40 years to get to this so-called promised land that God has set out for them. And what a lot of people don't know, and I actually didn't know um, until Dylan told me this, this is a 40-year journey that should have took 11 days. They've calculated out the distance that they were going to walk and everything it should have only taken them 11 days to walk from the, their place in Egypt to cross the Jordan into their new promised land, and it took them 40 years. And part of that is because of their disbelief in God. Part of that's part of the way that they fell away from what God had promised them and, and started doubting who he was and what he could do. And so he placed them in the desert for 40 years, and we're going to talk more in depth about that. But this is where this all culminates. This is where that journey finally ends, is the crossing of the Jordan, and it's so spectacular. So we're going to dive into the word. I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 17 of chapter 3. So Joshua 3, 13 through 17, is where we're going to start, and I'm going to sit there for just a few minutes. So verse 13, um, and as soon as this pr uh, priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until a whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So it's actually this really cool image. Um, and like I said, I think a lot of us have a VeggieTales version of this story. And even though VeggieTales never did this story, that's kind of what we see, or at least that's what I see. I don't know about you guys, but I see, cool, the, the nation of Israel crosses this river. We've seen God do this before. This is nothing compared to some of the miracles we see God do, but that is so untrue. So I want to put a few things in perspective. Um, the version of the story that I always remember 
um, when, I, when I read this story is in college, I actually took a Bible class. I went to Berry College in Rome, Georgia, and uh, our Bible professor loved to do outside class. So there were days that he would take us outside, and on those days, he'd wear a full five-piece suit, a cowboy hat, and carry a staff because he was almost always Moses. Um, and so he brought us out, and he assigned us all to different nations as Israel and we come to the main road, it's called Opportunity Drive. It goes straight down the center of campus and it leads up to this roundabout. And we got there and he goes, all right, I need all my Levites to come stand in the middle of the road. So we went and stood in the middle of the road and he walked out Gandalf style and was like, you shall not pass and stopped all of the cars that were coming down this road. Either direction, stopped all of them. And he had us one at a time, our class of like 30, cross the road slowly. He would let one person cross and be like, all right, wait, all right, you can cross now. All right, wait, you can cross now. So as we did that, traffic started to back up a lot. There was honking, there was yelling. It went all the way around the roundabout, so now everyone coming into campus couldn't get in because the roundabout was blocked up, and he just stood there and stopped traffic as we all one by one. And I started to get really worried that he was gonna get beat up by somebody because he like went to Oxford and he's like a really small guy, and I was like, someone's gonna kill him. Um, and there was this fear. As, as the car line got longer and longer and longer, this fear built up. And that's what we see here in this story, is there had to have been a great fear because the waters heaped up upon themselves. The wall of water began to grow and grow and grow. And even though it grew miles away, as it says, near Adam, that wall had to be huge. Because to put a few things in perspective, it says in Exodus, um, I believe it's Exodus 12, 37. I'm going to flip there real quick. You guys don't have to if you don't want to. Um, Exodus 12, 37. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses in Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So 600,000 men. And if you think about each one of them having a wife, that's 1.2 million people. And that's at the beginning of their journey. That's them leaving. That's them going on their way from Egypt. They have been in the desert for 40 years. And while a lot of those people died off, I guarantee you they had kids. Birth control is not a thing at this time. So they had a ton of kids. Even though the Egyptians tried to kill off the, Israels, the Israelites, even though they were killing off children, Israel multiplied. This is God's promise from the very beginning. The nation of Israel will be as many as the stars. Even when people are trying to stop them, they can't. They multiplied. So a lot of historians put the number at about the time of the crossing of the Jordan, 2.5 million people. When I think about this story, I think of like this many people. Because they've been camping in the desert, they're crossing a river, everyone listens to Joshua, everyone listens to Moses. It's 2.5 million. That's four times the amount of people that are in Atlanta. So in Atlantic traffic, you feel like everyone from the city is on that road. Multiply that by four or five. I think it's five. That's how many Israelites there are. 2.5 million. Even if they are side by side walking multiple people across this river, a lot of people say it would have taken them two days, 48 hours. That is a long time for water from the Jordan in its flood stage to be heaping up upon itself and creating this wall. And the ground that they are standing on is dry ground. That is a huge miracle. That is a huge insurmountable obstacle that they have found and God made it look easy. And he did this because he wanted to put Joshua in control. 
It looks a lot like Moses, which leads me to my next point. So my first point is that basically God is with you in your present. That insurmountable goal that is there, that is a beautiful thing, but it's not too big for God, which I know we hear a lot. But just remember that. This, this is a masterful miracle. This huge thing, what could have just been a crossing of a river, is an exodus of 2.5 million people across a river out of the wilderness. It's incredible. Now, a large part of the reason God did this is because he did the same thing with Moses. Now, like I said, a lot of those people who uh, started this journey, they uh, basically died in the wilderness. So a lot of these new people who are watching Joshua part these waters never got to see Moses do it. I guarantee you they heard about it. I guarantee you it was a story told to them by their parents and by all of these people, but they never watched it happen. This is them getting to see it happen. This is Joshua fully stepping into that leadership position that God had so greatly for him. It is an incredible miracle that God wanted to perform through Joshua and with the Israelites. But what's really cool about it is as big as that is, God still wanted to make an altar in remembrance of this moment. And I think that's really important, and that's where I want to camp out for the majority of this morning, is that God, no matter how big that miracle was, no matter how long it took to get those 2.5 million people across this river, he wanted to create a memorial because he knows that the Israelites are very quick to forget, just as we are. We are the Israelites in this story. We are so quick to forget what God has done, no matter how big it is. Um, And so the next part that I want to read is actually Joshua 4, 1 through 9. Um, So hopefully you kind of stayed at Joshua, that next chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you. And put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. To serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. So God, no matter how big this miracle was, put a memorial on the other side of the river. He put this memorial there because the reason that they wandered in the desert for 40 years is because they doubted God, no matter how many miracles they had seen. It seems like just the next day they had forgotten about what God had done the day before. He's making bread fall from the sky. The manna of heaven is on the ground, sustaining his people, and they're complaining. So God wanted this memorial here. And it's really cool what he actually does with this imagery, in my opinion, And I really like it because it's the perfect ending to that beginning. 
and it mirrors it perfectly. So I'm going to show you what I mean. All of the kids, welcome to the gathering. You are now a part. If I can have all the kids come over here for me. You guys can come stand over here. Everybody. Hopefully you're not asleep yet. Come on. <laughs> this is the first time we've had family worship, so I'm really excited that the kids are here. God talks about leaving, telling the kids what happened. This is what we're doing. We're telling the kids in remembrance what God has done. Come on down. I promise I won't bite you. Yeah, follow Ricky. He's the Pied Piper. Bring him on down. I need all of you to stand right here in front of me. Come on. All right. These are my Israelites. Aren't they beautiful? Cutest Israelites you've ever seen in your life. They're great. So these are the Israelites. We are currently in Egypt. We need to get over there to the promised land. You guys see the promised land? Doesn't it look pretty? Yeah, yeah it's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, we are currently in Egypt. So right now, I am Moses. We have come to the Red Sea. We're going to cross it. I am Moses. Moses currently has the call of God on his life. God is with him in where he is. So God is leading the Israelites. He is, he's in front of his people leading them out of Egypt. So you guys are going to follow me. I cross the sea. We walk across. Yeah. All right, we're going to stop here. All right, so right now we are in the wilderness. We are camping out. It's taken us 40 years. We are all around this spot. We are camping out, and God tells us to make an ark. That is where God is going to live. We're, we're making an ark right here. That's where God's going to live. I'm Moses. I die. I'm dead. I'm over here. So there's the ark. This is where God now lives. They pick up the ark, and they carry it over here to the Jordan. Come on. Okay, we get to the Jordan. The ark goes and stands in the river. So the ark is, I am now the ark. I stand where I am. I am in the river. The water has stopped flowing. All of the Israelites cross, come past me, all the way past me. All the Israelites cross because the ark never leaves. And so now the Israelites have passed the ark and they are forced to look back upon the journey that they just had because they are waiting for the ark to lead once again. It is the imagery that I love there of like over here, God is in front of his people and he is leading them to the wilderness. And then over here at the end of it, he forces his people to cross. God is still leading them, but he is behind them. He causes them to look back. It's two bookends that are perfectly mirrored and completely symmetrical. Thank you guys so much for your help. You guys can go sit. Give it up for the Israelites. So there's a mirroring of their journey beginning and then it finally ending. And it is incredible the way God puts that. And now I know I'm a little poetic, so I, I try to see that symbolism. Maybe it's not there, but I, that helps me remember it. That helps me see what God has done, that this is a whole season. This is a whole season of the Israelites' life. The whole nation of Israel is living in here. They started this way, they're ending this way, and now they are forced to look back upon where they have come from. And it's so cool because this is the closest that the Israelites have ever been to the ark. Even when they camp out, they put it in a tent that has a curtain in it that only the Levites can walk across after they have completely cleansed themselves and gone through this ritual. This is the closest the Israelites have ever come to the ark. If you read in uh, chapter 3, verse 4 of Joshua, 
Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And every time the Israelites move, that is a similar command given. Now, for those of you who don't know what a cubit is, it is actually the distance between your elbow and your middle finger. It's a little bit different for everybody. But it's about a foot and a half. So I did a little bit of math. If you do about 2,000 cubits, that's about 3,000 feet, which is about 10 football fields. So if you think about the length of a football field times 10, that is how far away from the ark they have to be in following it. That is how far away that they are supposed to keep from the ark. And in this moment, God allows them to pass by the ark and even tells 12 other people to come back right at the base of the ark and pick up stones and bring them to the other side. And I believe that's because God really wants his, his Israelites, his people, to look back at where they just came from. They can rejoice in the crossing of the river, but when did they rejoice in the manna? And I think that's important. God is with us in the past, and we have to remember that. And the only way to do that is to set up places of memory, places of memorials, of remembrance that we can look back upon to see how God got us where we are today. We're always looking for the big miracle moment, the crossing of the Jordan. But what about the manna that we see every single day in the wilderness? Do you guys compare your seasons of life to like actual seasons, who does that? It's okay to raise your hand. I do it. I'm not going to make fun of you. I promise. I'm not Gabe. I'm not mean to you guys. I'm just kidding. So I, I do the exact same thing. Or if you have a friend who does that, how many times have you heard this one? It's, it's just a dry season. You know, I feel like I'm in the desert. I feel like I'm in the wilderness. You know, I'm just, I'm just searching for God's voice and it's just a dry season. I'm just not getting anything. Why do we do that? The desert is where God sends us to strip everything except for him away. The Israelites have nothing to rejoice about in the desert other than the providence of God, other than his sustenance that he literally rains down from the sky. You see it with Jesus. To start his ministry, he wanders into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to mirror this whole journey that they take. The son of God, God himself, God incarnate, cannot start his ministry without going through a dry season. He cannot start his ministry without first spending time in the wilderness where everything is stripped away. He didn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. He stripped every part of his human person, his 100% human, he gave it zero power. There is no sustenance. There is no anything. The only thing that could keep him alive and sustained in that moment is his 100% God. That's how the wilderness should look for us. We shouldn't go through a dry season and complain about it. We should go through a dry season and find the little things that God has given us that have brought us sustenance that there is no other explanation for us being where we are. So... It reminds me of, of this story. I'm about to lose all credibility in your minds. Um, I'm a big musical theater nerd. Anyone else? Yes. So I'm all about musical theater. I'm in any play that I get a chance to be in. I love it. We just recently got to go to New York on Broadway and see this play called Hadestown. It just won a ton of Tonys. Um, very good play, very good play. But it's based upon this Greek mythology story. 
of Eurydice and Orpheus. So there are these two humans. Basically, they fall in love. Eurydice makes a deal with the devil to sell her soul to the devil. She then has to go to Hades and live in this hell, basically. And then Orpheus makes the journey to go get her from Hades and bring her out because he's in love with her. But the god of death, Hades, makes a deal with him and says, you're only allowed to take her if you walk all the way from here back to the actual world. You're only allowed to take her if she follows you, says nothing, and you never look back to see if she's following. If there's not a single second that you look backwards upon where you've come from to see if she's following you, you have to keep your face forward and have to continuously walk. So it ends and he gets very close to earth, but he freaks out. Doubt starts to set in because he knows I am not a special person. There's nothing different about me than any other human. He was a very poor person. And he thought in his mind, who am I that she would follow me? Who am I that this woman would blindly follow me from the depths of hell to earth? She's not there. And he turns around, and she's standing there looking at him. But she has to go back to that place in hell because he turned around. And I think so often that's how we live our lives. We're constantly looking forward. We're saying, God's leading me there. I see where God wants me. That's where I want to go. I, I, I'm going to run as far as I can towards that. I am going to, in all my power, in all my control, lead my path and look constantly forward that we don't take the time to look backwards and see that God has been creating the path since we started walking. God has been the one clearing the way to get you to where you are. Why are we so focused on that when we haven't even taken a second to look back and glorify the place that God has gotten us to? We are too constantly worried about crossing the Jordan. We forget about the manna. I'm going to keep coming back to that illustration. I hope you're not tired of it. Just recently, me and Addie started this clothing store kind of a thing that we're doing in Atlanta. Um, it's a lot of fun. This isn't just a shameless plug, I promise. It is a shameless plug, but I'm going somewhere with it. Um, so we started this store in Atlanta. We just hosted our first big event yesterday. Um, it was this big culmination of all this work that we have had and all this great, amazing things. And all, a lot of you guys came and bought stuff and we had a lot of sales and it was very successful and we were so worried about it. And it feels like we crossed the Jordan. It fe we were on top of the world. We got in the car and we were just, just ecstatic. We were shaking with excitement because it went so much better than we ever thought it would. And we knew it was God who did it. And we were so excited about the launch of this brand new brand that we're doing and, and what God is doing through it. And it, it reminded me of this story. It reminded me that we just crossed the Jordan, but God wants us to put, put an altar to him here so we can remember everything, all of it. God wants us to remember it so bad. Even after they built the altar, he had everyone circumcised. You can't forget that. That's, that's not something you forget, especially as a man. Just know that. And it goes along with that mirroring. And when they came out of Egypt, they had the Passover, which is what led to them being free from Egypt. They consecrated all of their youngest, which includes, which includes uh, circumcision if you're not circumcised. They crossed the Red Sea. They crossed a body of water. Now on this side, they crossed the body of water. They then create an altar and a memorial. Then they become circumcised and they have Passover because it's been exactly 40 years. They celebrate Passover week and what that looks like. It's that mirroring. And so it caused me to look back on this entire journey that me and Addie have been going on the past several weeks and think, 
What is the manna that I'm forgetting? Now, you may be in the desert right now. You may have just crossed the Jordan, and you're rejoicing in that, and that's a beautiful thing. But do not forget the day-to-day things that God does for you that got you to where you are. He literally made bread rain from the sky to sustain his people, and they were ungrateful. And part of that is because most of them died. If you think about it, everyone born in the wilderness doesn't even know how to hunt. They don't know how to make food. It just fell from the sky for them. So I encourage you to do that over the next few weeks, once a week. Look back on your week and think about what is the manna that I have forgotten? What is it that God has done to get me to this place that I have not been taking notice of? Whether that's money so you can continue to be in school, whether that's a really awesome class that has pulled out your calling in the ministry that you want, whether that's just having a place to live. All of those little things, they feel so minimal, but God is in every single one of them. So God is in your present. He creates those big miracles, but he's also in your past. Do not forget that. Look back on where you have come from and see the path he has cleared for you. And the last point is God is in your future. It's important to look back and see where God has brought you, but don't sit in it. I want to I urge you guys to be careful. I don't want to negate anything I've said. Look back. Remember the way God has brought you, where he has brought you to. But don't try to live in a season that you are no longer in. Don't try to live on the other side of the Jordan because you saw the glory of God there. Because of the glory of God there, move forward in your journey. There's got to be fear in the Israelites. Like I said, most of them, pretty much all of them, were born in the desert where food was on the ground in the morning and they could eat it. They are now crossing the Jordan, and later on in this passage, it says that the manna stopped. There's no more manna. They now have to gather their food. They now have to hunt it. They're on the other side of the Jordan, which means that there are now other nations that they are going to have to fight and battle to get the land that God promised to them. They have got to be petrified of where they are going. They have to be so scared of what's in the future that they have to look back and see God did this. God has done it before and he will do it again. God will carry us through the desert and carry us through these battles. He has carried us across the Jordan. So look back at what God has done for you in order to carry you into the future. He calls us to do this time and time again. I've literally just got a list of like 45 different scriptures. Deuteronomy 6.12, Deuteronomy 8.12, Isaiah 46.9, 1 Corinthians 11.2, Psalm 77.11, Psalms 143.5. There are so many verses that say, remember. Remember when I did this. Remember what I did for the Israelites. Remember when this happened. Remember the last thing I did for you in moving forward. Do not be afraid. Remember that I did this because we are so quick to forget. And so the final remembrance, I don't think it's the final, but the biggest remembrance that he gives us is communion. Jesus passes out the bread and the wine and says, do this in remembrance of me. Because that's what it's all about. Everything in the Old Testament points to the gospel. It points to God's fulfillment of his promise to us. And that's where this comes in. We are supposed to take part in communion, break the bread that is his body, drink the wine that is his blood, 
and do this in remembrance of him. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what he has done for you on the cross. And in light of that, move into the future. It reminds me of, have you guys ever seen that, the story of the sand? Those awful, awful posters that they sell at like Gateway and stuff, where it's like, I was walking in the sand with Jesus, and I looked back, and there were times where there was only one set of footprints, and I asked him, what was that about? And he was like, that's when I carried you. So I'll admit it, I'm a little bit of a spiritual hipster. So the first time I saw that, I was like, that's good. I like that a lot. By the third time I saw it, I was like, too many people like this. There must be something theologically incorrect about it. Um, I'm that way about a lot of things. So if you have one, if you like it, that is totally fine. Uh, There is no judgment here. I'm going to tell you my issue with it. Deal with it in your own heart. Um, My issue is that when you look back on the sand, when you look back on the wilderness, especially the wilderness, the way God strips everything but himself away, there shouldn't be any point where there's two sets of tracks by themselves. God has carried you the whole way. God has carried you since he picked up and carried the cross. He has not put you down. There's no steps that you take alone. You have been on the back of Christ since the day that he died, and he will carry you continually through what you have to go through. And some of it will make you stronger. It's going to be hard. I'm not saying God will clear everything. It's going to be hard. But look back on what God has already done. You are here. You have found a ministry that loves you and pours into you. You have found a ministry that believes in community. You have made it all the way to college where you're gathering information, where you're learning more. You've made it past college. Some of you have kids. You are now pouring into the next generation. You have made it this far strictly and only because God has come this far with you and carried you this far, and he will continue to carry you until he's done with you. So remember that when we do communion. I'm going to close with this story, and then I'm going to pray us out, and then we're going to go do communion. That isn't the importance of it. Please be in that mindset when you take that loaf of bread over there and dip it in our grape juice that doesn't seem like much. Remember what it stands for, what God has done for you, and through that, the strength that he gives you and he alone gives you because you are not enough, and you never will be enough, and you're not good enough, but Jesus is enough for all of us, and he's good enough for all of us, and he's going to carry you the rest of the way. Remember that when you take communion. So the last story I have is uh, I'm a big sports nerd as well. So Deion Sanders, one of the all-time greats, played for the Falcons for a long time. Uh, He broke the record for kicks returned for touchdowns. That means that of everyone in the league, he has caught the most kicks and returned it all the way to the end zone for seven points. He's done it the most of anyone in the league. And I once heard a press conference with him after he broke the record and started setting the new record. And he said he was so focused on breaking that record. Every day of his life, he was practicing himself. He was juking. He was spinning. He was trying to find ways that he could be the slickest man in football and get to the end zone. He was one of the fastest guys to ever play the game. He was obsessed with it. He said he broke the record and he felt so glorious and so incredibly Wonderful that he finally did it. He finally broke it. The next touchdown he did to set the new record, he said, I scored the touchdown and I got into the end zone and I turned around and I realized that I had done nothing because he had blockers the entire way. 
He was on one of the best return teams in the league, not because of him, but because of the blockers they had set in place and how well they did their jobs. He said, I turned around and saw everyone from the other team on the ground because my blockers had completely cleared a path and I saw it clear as day and I realized none of that record is mine. It is all of my blockers record. And that's what, I'm, that's what I'm hoping you get from this. If there's one thing I could leave you with, that's what it is. You will cross the end zone. There are times that you will cross the Jordan. But please look back and realize there's no way you would have gotten there without God. See a clear path that he has cleared for you because he is your blockers, pushing everything to the side. You may have had to hurdle one thing or two things. You may have had to break one tackle. But think about all of the tackles that were pushed out of the way because God was there first and he led you through that. It's so hard to see him when he's right next to you, but as soon as you turn around, you see him everywhere. So please remember that. I'm going to pray us out. Thank you guys so much for listening to me ramble for 30 minutes. Um, I appreciate all of you for being here. If you're a visitor, thank you for coming. But please go into this with, with some sense of reverence of what God has done for you and how he has carried you up until this point. Dear God, I pray that nothing on my lips that is not of you will leave this room. It will fall upon deaf ears. I pray to only be an instrument of who you are in your glory, Lord. And anything that I say that is incorrect, because I'm sure I said plenty that is, please let it fall to the ground and never leave this room, Lord. I pray that we never forget the things that you've done for us and how to correctly remember and set up an altar to who you are that got us to where we are. And in light of that, look forward to our future knowing that you are carrying us the entirety of the way, Lord. You have given us such good gifts and you have brought us all so far. And if that's to end tomorrow, it ends tomorrow, Lord. But your plans are holier and mightier than anyone in this room. What you have set out for us will happen. Your ministry will live. Your name will be glorified and it will be spread to the farthest reaches of the earth, you have spoken that promise. And I pray that you use us as tools, but that none of it comes from us. It all comes from you through us. God, you're such a good father. I thank you for the gift of your son on the cross. I thank you for the holiness that he spreads to us because we never will be. But in your eyes, we are. God, thank you for that mercy. Thank you for that grace. You give to us so often. I pray that we move forward, that this doesn't stay here, that we live this out in community all throughout the week, that you use the community that the branch has given us and, and the encouragement that the branch has given us to preach this everywhere we go and to never forget what lies behind. In your holy name I pray, amen.